following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. So we are starting a new series, The Church Defined. We just want to spend the month of September kind of looking at what is the role of the church. Maybe we'll, we don't even know how long we'll be doing this. Um, but um, uh, I want us to know that when the church was launched, it was a new thing. And it would continue to be a new thing for the rest of its existence, just like its Savior. That scripture that that thought comes from, comes from Isaiah 43. But it, before it says, I am doing a new, or I will do a new thing, it says, forget the former things. Do not remember the former, former things, nor consider the things of old. And Renee did a good job last week of reminding us that we, we do remember what God did, but it's not about the thing, it's about the God who did the thing. That's what these stones of remembrance are about. They're not about what God did in the sense of um, this little detail or that little detail. It is always in the context of the God who was in the midst of it all, walked us through it all, was with us in it all. Because the challenge is if we get too focused on the new thing that God is, or the old thing that God had done, we cannot see the new thing that he is doing. In fact, the Jews could not accept the new thing that Jesus was doing because they were so locked up in the old thing that he was doing. Even when the church was being birthed and all kinds of things were happening, so many of those who had, had the privilege of ushering in the new thing could not accept the new thing because it didn't look enough like the old thing. And for you and I in our lives, we must always embrace the new thing that God is doing and realize that sometimes we need to forget the former things in the sense of, this doesn't mean let them leave your memory. It means don't cling to them. Don't hold on to them. Yeah. Why? Because the thing that God is doing now is new. Now, it's not new to him, but it's new to us. So, in this journey of defining the church, we need to understand that the church is the agent upon the earth to establish and co-labor with God in the new thing that he's doing. With that in mind, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 2. And we want, I want to go right to the root of the church. If we're going to define what the role of the church is... We need to go right to its roots. And I want to look at the first sermon that was ever preached to the church. And only a, a small portion of it. But you remember the story on the day of Pentecost. They're all gathered in the upper room because Jesus had told them to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with on power from on high to be his witnesses. 
And we know that the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room and, you know, the sound of a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire on their heads. And they were all, if I could say it this way, the same spirit that drove Jesus into the wilderness drove this early church out into the streets. And people are amazed because they're seeing uh, and hearing people speak in their own language. It says here in the book of Acts that in that city, in that day, was people from every nation for the day of Pentecost. And they're hearing 120, and they even say, how can this be? These are just Galileans. What that really means is hillbillies. They were considered to be unlearned, un, just outside the country folk, fishermen, blah, like you and me, <laughs> ordinary folk. They weren't from the, you know, the learned. They weren't, and, and it says, how can it be? They, they, just these Galileans are all, and we're all hearing the word of God in our language. That was one of the administrations of tongues. That's not the only administration. That's not the primary administration that you and I use. But in that text, they were hearing praises unto God and declarations concerning God in their own language. So Peter, in verse 14, Peter says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as ye suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maid servants and my, ma my manservants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. And then it goes on to talk about the sun and the moon and some signs in the heavens and all of that, some of which I believe is yet to come along with yet. How many of you know when prophetic declarations are made, especially scripture, they can have multiple meanings and multiple seasons of being the word of the Lord because I am still am. Amen. The I am who said it back then still am today. Amen. And he still am doing what he was doing back then. Suppose I should open my notes. I want you to notice, I see, I'm going to tell you up front where we're going. I believe that one of the primary reasons, and I learned this from our dear brother, Alan Ross. If you're here this morning and you don't know who Alan Ross is, or if you're listening online, um, Alan Ross is a good friend of the house here. He is our prophetic, one of our prophetic voices. He is, uh, he dwells in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, and uh, he comes quite regularly and by the grace of God will again soon um, and just uh, brings us understanding concerning the prophetic. One of the reasons that the prophetic level in this house is quite uh, 
uh, healthy is because of Alan's input into this house. But very early on, he, he taught us this, and I believe it, I've watched it, and I believe it to be true. In the Old Testament, there were men uh, chosen of God to be prophets to the nation. In the New Testament, the prophet to the nation is the church. And you and I are the voice of God. And by the way, don't get tripped up with the word prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your maidservants and manservants shall prophesy. It simply means to declare on earth by the inspiration of God, the purposes of God and the wind, uh, will of God. It's not real mystical. In fact, I, I've found this over the years. A lot of people who think they don't prophesy do prophesy. They just don't recognize it. I do want you to notice, it doesn't say, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Uh, your sons and your daughters will speak in tongues. Upon my manservants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit and they will speak in tongues. It doesn't say that. It says they will prophesy. So why would Peter stand up and say, this is that. This is what Joel was talking about. This was, he was talking about a time when the Spirit of God would pour out on the sons and daughters and they would prophesy on the maidservant. And not only that, but young men will see visions. Old men will see dreams. Have dreams. Do you know that there's really very little difference between speaking in tongues and prophesying? The Apostle Paul in chapter 14 said that when I speak in tongues, when I pray in my prayer language, when I speak in tongues, um, my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful. That's all prophecy is. It's speaking things that you know nothing of. It's declaring something that you don't understand the full impact of it. How many times have we heard someone, including Alan, our good friend, bring a word and, and it's like it means nothing to him, but I hope this means something to you. And it usually does. And so if you want to grow in your ability to prophesy, I encourage you to become comfortable with speaking out of your head from your spirit and just letting it flow. And then when it comes time to prophesy, you sit, simply switch to English. It's true. Don't look at me funny. It's the truth. And you and I need to know that we are the prophetic voice to our sphere of influence. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the role of the church in this day is to be a voice to those around us. I believe the church has a role in being a voice during some of the stuff that's going on with COVID. I believe that the role of the church has a voice in what's going on in our nation. But the voice is not the voice of man. It's the voice of God. I will invite you again to join me in making Jesus Christ great again in America. Amen. 
That's what we're about. That's the role of the church. We're a voice for heaven. And that does and, and so that is why that is why over the years the church has engaged in causes that reflected the righteous judgments and the righteous desires of God. That's why the church was that's why uh, the church was so involved in, in civil rights. And it still should be. We do need to know that Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King was a pastor, was a minister, a Baptist minister, speaking to a, as a prophet to the nation. And so we do have a responsibility, but not just a few. We all do in our spheres of influence. But I want to focus on something today. I want us to understand the new thing that God was doing that day when the church was birthed. We know that not long later, the uh, apo same apostle Peter is preaching uh, to the Gentiles because he got invited uh, to a meeting and he had a vision and said even though it's a Gentile meeting you should go to it and so he goes to the meeting and all of a sudden this same Holy Spirit that we just read about that fell on the 120 uh, in the upper room fell on Gentiles oh my God you want to talk about a new thing and they had to debate and they had the church went through turmoil and it's like oh man I don't know I don't Gentiles really dogs really I mean come on but if Peter would have listened to the tape of his very first sermon he would have knew that God was going to do it because he prophesied out of his own mouth I will pour out my spirit on all flesh oh Duh. And the thought there is all of humanity, human flesh. And so God is doing a huge new thing. And now they who have been disenfranchised are all of a sudden brought into the family of God. You want to talk about a new thing? But I believe God was way up to way more than that. He said he would pour out his spirit on the sons and the daughters. Oh my gosh. The girls? The women? You need to realize that in that society, women were ju almost just as disenfranchised as Gentiles. One of the primary things that Jesus did when he came, I believe, and we miss it so often, is he elevated women to their rightful place. Whether you talk about Jewish culture, whether you talk about Roman culture, or whether you talk about Greek culture, women were looked at as second-class citizens and not a whole lot different than the children or the slaves. They couldn't own property, just all kinds of things depending, and they were, and, and were not, for that reason, were not very educated in most cases. And this new thing is that he's pouring out his spirit on all flesh, male and female, Jew and Gentile. 
holy and heathen. Oh my goodness. But wait, there's more? He's going to pour out his spirit on the manservants and the maidservants. Whoa, back up the train. He's going to pour out his spirit on the slaves. I guess when he said all flesh, what he really meant was all flesh. I guess in the original text and in the original language, all means all. And so there's this new thing that God is doing. And if you think that did not create an upheaval in society, you do not understand human nature. One of the reasons that I believe that this new Christian movement was so hard for some people to swallow is because it turned everything. The old thing got turned upside down. And if you could not forget the former things, you could not embrace the new thing. And you and I need to be careful in this day that we don't get so set. You know, the mantra of the church. Well, we've never done it that way before. Well, maybe it's time we did. Whatever it is. And that doesn't mean we just go helter-skelter and just do anything. But it does mean that we follow the Spirit of the Lord. And we follow the Word of the Lord. And we recognize that God is so creative. And He's still creating. And He's still doing stuff. And we need to embrace the new thing that He's doing. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And one of the roles of the church is to declare what God is going to do and, uh, and what he's doing. Prophecy is both foretelling, but it's also forthtelling. By that I mean when a declaration, a prophetic declaration that finds its source from heaven is released by you and I as an earthling, it sets in motion that which was proclaimed. Of all of God's creation, only you and I have the ability to articulate words like God. That's part of what it means to be in his image. We can speak creatively. That's what it means to be prophetic. And many times it's just speaking words of encouragement, words of comfort. Paul said the, the primary reason for prophecy is um, edification, which means to build up. Comfort and exhortation. That's why I say I think more of you have prophesied than you know. Because you reflect the heart of God and you speak into the lives of others. Words of encouragement, words of affirmation, words that challenge them to reach higher and draw nearer. I want to encourage us in our ability to recognize how significant we are in our spheres of influence to be carriers of the truth. And I understand that sometimes people get upset with the truth that you carry, but it's only because it confronts the lie that they're living in. 
Nonetheless, we must be willing to speak the truth. And, that does, and, and uh, I believe we speak it with wisdom. I believe our word should be as the Apostle Paul wrote. Our word should be seasoned with grace. We're salt, but we shouldn't be too salty. We're light, but we shouldn't be too bright. Or we work against the very thing that God would have us to be doing. I want to uh, blend a little bit this, the theme of this month with the theme of last month. Um, in this whole understanding of uh, the way God has designed that both men and women should be equal in the body of Christ. Our theme last month was, I believe, and one of the things that we have believed for years, and I'm going to preach on this again next week. I just want to set the stage this week. But we have believed here for years that women and men are co-equal in the work of the ministry. And we can say, well, yes, but it says that husbands are the head of their wives. They are. But don't think for one moment. See, here's the way I see it. They call us, Renee, me, Pastor Dave's not here. He's preaching down south. But they call us pastors. But hey, <laughs> we realize we're not the chief pastor. We're not the chief shepherd. We're shepherds, yes, but we're not the chief shepherd. We just get to represent him. And in the same way, it is with a husband. I, yes, I am the head of my wife, but I'm not the chief head. She does not have to go through me to get to her Jesus. She can go into the secret place without me and do just fine, thank you. In fact, she does. And we need to understand that there is that which is set in place by God for family and dynamics and, and all of that. But the reality is that any woman or man must stand before the head for themselves. You remember I w spoke a few weeks ago about one of the things we learned in the early history of this church was that we had to be released from our mother church to be our own autonomous church. And we, by the way, we were released Willingly and peacefully, we did not get birthed out of a church split. <laughs> so we have a built into our foundation, we have a healthy relationship with the mother church that birthed us. But I remind, remind, I was reminded and shared with you that Pastor Don visited and went back to the elders because we were a satellite congregation of the mother church and he said you need to release that church or it will die. It needs to connect with the head for itself. And I believe that's true for every believer and that is true for women. This thing of headship so often and, and you say, well, what's this got to do with the role of the church? It's got everything to do with the role of the church. 
And I'm not preaching this message just because my daughter happens to be the senior pastor right now. That has nothing to do with it. We have ordained, I was looking back at our records, we have ordained as many women over the years as we have men. Because I, from, I don't even know where I, I, see it makes no sense to me that this God who came to set, kept, to set mankind free would add a caveat, oh yeah, uh, except women. Give me a Pentecostal break. And so there's this liberty, this new thing that God was doing. So he would pour out his spirit on his sons and his daughters. On his men servants and his maid servants. It's like, really? That breaks a rule. And all you got to understand what this created. Do you see, we're going to go to, in fact, let's turn there right now. And we'll talk while we walk. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Over the remainder of today and next week, I want to look at a couple of scriptures that get pulled way out of context to shut down women. In fact, we're going to look at this portion of scripture here in 1 Corinthians, and we tend to look at one little, little section. It says, God is not the author of confusion. Women be silent in the church. (laughs) Well, I guess that settles that. No, it doesn't. That's so silly. It doesn't. This same Paul that wrote that, women be silent in the church, only a few chapters early, gave instructions how women should prophesy and pray in the church. So often we, let me tell you this. When you see something that seems not in keep, by the way, We're going to blow two things out of the water right now. Paul did not hate women. Number two, he wasn't just expressing his personal opinion. He was writing as an apostle to the church. So what he wrote has scriptural authority. We're not going to, that's just silliness. But we need, we need to practice good hermeneutics, when it comes to looking at a scripture that seems to stand out. And I know that's just a big word for properly interpreting scripture. And there are three principles that we're going to put into practice for the remainder of this service and next week. And that is the three principles of hermeneutics. Number one, scripture is the best interpreter of scripture. Number two, Scripture must be interpreted in the context in which it was written. And number three, any scripture that is interpreted in the context in which it was written will not um, contradict another scripture. So we need to look at the context. So what causes Paul to all of a sudden, it seems, he doesn't, but it seems like, because we don't read the full canon, it, it, it seems like he just says, God is not the author of confusion. Women, shut up. Kids aren't in here, I can say that word. (laughs) 
We need to understand that, number one, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church where all kinds of things are out of order. In chapter 1, he, he, he says, I hear that there's division among you and disorder. In chapter 2, he confronts sectarianism, which is kind of like denominationalism today. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Christ. And Paul just throws his hands up and says, what is this? Is Christ divided? In chapter 11, he brings correction concerning um, communion. Their communion services were way out of whack. You need to understand that the church is, at that time and still, is just made up of people. But it's people who all of a sudden were outside. There's a lot of Gentiles in Corinth. It's a port city. So there's all kinds of pagan religions, all kinds of pagans getting converted. And all of a sudden, they have this new voice to prophesy, to pray in the assembly. Women, all of a sudden, who had been marginalized, all of a sudden have a voice in the assembly. You think church is messy now? You had a bunch of people who all, Gentiles, all, all who had been outside the scope of the family of God, all of a sudden there's this church. I don't know if I can do this because of the camera, can I? Good, I don't like it up there. All of a sudden, there, the pagans are invited into the family of God. Women are invited into the orders of service and all of that way more than they ever have been before slaves are sitting beside their masters as an equal in the church just consider the turmoil consider what this new thing that the church was bringing into existence And so it's in this context that Paul writes and the heading in my Bible beginning at verse um, 26 of chapter 14 is order in church meetings. And so because of time, I'm not going to read it all. But I'll tell you this. He, he writes and he, he, he talks to them. He, he talks about the term we get as charismatics, the half a meeting where one has a psalm, one has a hymn, one has a teaching, one has a revelation, one has a prophetic word, one has a tongue and interpretation. And things are all going wonky. And he says, whoa, 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 slow down. And we tend to look and he said, yeah, but he said women be silent. Listen, before he ever said women be silent, he said prophets be silent. Three verses earlier. Four verses earlier, he said, you tongue talkers, be silent. If there's not an interpreter. And it's the same word. It isn't don't make a noise, it's be self-controlled in your speech so as not to be disruptive. And he says to the prophets, if you are going on in your discourse and there's another who has something else to share, be silent. Sit down and be quiet. Because everybody was experiencing, I believe, this found, uh, uh, newfound freedom of the 
spiritual gifts that he, he, the Apostle Paul, talks about just two chapters earlier in chapter 12, where he also brings some order to the purpose and the calling of spiritual gifts so that somebody couldn't say, well, if I don't have this spiritual gift, then I'm not part of the body. He said, if you're a hand, you be a hand. And don't say to the foot, why can't I be a foot? If you're an ear, be an ear. And don't say to the eye, why can't I be an eye? My word's not his. But the reality is that there was this So it's in this context that he says, and you women be silent. And if you have questions, ask at home. Let me ask, why would women have questions? Oh, I don't know. Could be because they've been uneducated and all of a sudden they're invited into a meeting where they have a voice. And they get to speak, and they get to prophesy, and in fact, he's kind of talking about the judging of prophecy, and I would say this, I would say that if there's any educated women, uneducated women in the room today who do not read and do not know the scriptures, please don't help us interpret prophecy. But there probably isn't. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You and I know what happens when he pours out his spirit. And it creates a fire in the belly. And it does something in here. And then can you imagine to have to sit and be silent while the fire rages on the inside with a revelation or a word? All of... All of us know that feeling. It's like, it's like, oh, wow, I've got something. Well, actually, it's someone. But I've got this inside of me, and I've got to let it out. And I believe that that's the context in which Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Of course, things were out of order. And so he's writing to bring order. So women would have questions, but so would slaves, so would men, so would everybody. I want to encourage us in, whether we're a man or a woman, the privilege and the opportunity we have to be a voice for God. I want to encourage us in the opportunity that we have to be a carrier of heaven's message to earth. Do you know that when you talk to someone about Jesus and tell them that that can lead them to eternal life, you are predicting the future? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you're here this morning, you say, well, I don't know if I believe in prophecy. Well, actually, you probably do because you're living it if you're saved. If I ask, I'm not, but if I ask for a show of hands, how many of you think you're going to heaven? I would hope all of you would raise your hand. If there's anyone here this morning who can't have that assurance, please come and talk to me or there will be prayer teams up here or Renee or Brian or probably anybody in the house. If you're watching online and you don't know that you're going to heaven, please call us, talk talk to us. The Bible makes it very clear. We can have an assurance of our salvation. 
And once we've got that assurance, we can share and tell others. We're going to look next week at Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy concerning women. And again, we're going to put it in context. And we're going to address another Scripture that just gets pulled out. Smile. The new thing that God was doing when he birthed the church is still perpetually going on and on and on, and you are part of it. Isn't that awesome? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you that we are in the time in history when we don't have to say you will do a new thing. We can say you are. You am doing a new thing. We thank you for the things that you have done in our lives in the past. And we thank you that you will be just as significant and just as awesome in the next season as you were in the last season and as you are in this season. We thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.